0: Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, oh my gosh, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the, the, the God who is responsible for all of this, Lord, the, the, the awesomeness of who you are, Lord, we, we, we do stand in awe, Lord, we see your creation and we see what you've done in lives and, and we just praise you, honestly praise you for that, Lord, and here we are now, Lord, wanting to hear from you, wanting to see what you would have for us, Lord, and as I said before, I believe wholeheartedly, 100%, everyone in this room is here for a purpose and it's a purpose ordained by you. So, Lord, I pray that we will each realize that purpose, Lord, to be touched. And um, so right, right now, Lord, I pray that you will just remove the distractions, right? the, the distractions of the day, the frustrations, the, maybe even the weariness um, of the day, Lord, and, um, and, and speak, just speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We welcome all of you here tonight. We have a, several of you who are here for the first time, um, and so that we welcome you as well. And for those of you here who are here for the first time, just know that this is a bunch of guys who love Jesus, and that's okay. Yeah, that actually is, is, is pretty okay along those lines. We have been going through the last two seasons on a concept called Gatekeepers. And as as we've been doing that, it's we've been developing what it means to be a gatekeeper and everything else. As we move to where we are tonight, every this season, every night we have upped the ante about what God has in store and what God wants us to do and be. Tonight is going to be no exception. What we're going to have tonight is, from my point of view, is an unapologetic call to excellence. Um, It's going to be a challenge in many cases. I'm also hoping that it encourages you, because um, my hope and prayer is that through God's Word tonight and through the examples in God's Word, that each and every one of us are able to, to get some answers and some encouragement and maybe find a path to where we know we should be, from where we are to where we know sh- we should be. So I'm hoping that will happen tonight. Tonight we're going to try to call men of God to action. we got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. let read a story um, in the news. There we go. Reading a story in the news. Um, a, a college in Massachusetts. It's called the College of the Holy Co- Cross. And there's the professor there, who is the department head of New Testament studies, is teaching this. Now, mind you, this is in the College of the Holy Cross. It's a Christian college in Massachusetts. And the head of the department of New Testament studies is teaching that Jesus was a drag queen with queer fantasies. And his reason for that, his reason for that is simply this, is that he wants Jesus to be relevant to the ginger fluid. Now here we are in a situation I want to make very clear. I'm not talking about that whole lifestyle right now at all. It's not my intention, so please don't misunderstand me on this one. The point I'm trying to make with what this is an example of is that what we have here is what I call retreat, where we as, as we're retreating Culture is defining scripture. So we look at culture and say, well, if we want to be relevant to the culture today, we've got to change how we interpret scripture. And we retreat from what the Bible says. Our job is to advance. Our job is to, be the, to take the scripture and have it influence culture. That is the job of God's people in this world today. That is what we are supposed to do. But how do we get here? The cause of Christ in too many cases has in my in my view is degenerated into religious half measures. Now that's the other way to put that is, is that religious well that's close enough. Okay? You know, you live your life a certain way and you think, okay, well I'm I'm doing my best, that's close enough that's a half measure if I can just get close enough I know it's not perfect but I'll just get close enough that is what the cause of Christ in the modern church has degenerated into and I'm I'm, you know guys close enough is good for horseshoes hand grenades and in certain occasions dancing okay but that's about it really if you think about it when it comes to the cause of Christ close enough doesn't count Half measures is, the Bible says, but. The Bible says, but. Now, if you remember correctly, we've talked about it in the past. If you can imagine this, um, imagine over here, the natural. Over here, the soul. Over here, the spirit. The natural, the soul, the spirit. Religious half measures. It's a matter of choosing to listen to the flesh as opposed to the spirit. And in the context of that, what you have to do is choose who you're going to listen to. If you're going to choose to listen to the flesh, you're going to accept half half measures as that. Well, that's close enough. However, if you choose to listen to the spirit, that's full measure living. And the question you have to have is what are you going to do, and that's your choice. And so I, I hope to make a case. We're going to make the case that to advance into all that Jesus has for us, There can be no half measures. Joshua chapter 7 and 8 is a really good example of what this principle is all about. So let me summarize how we get to chapter 7. In chapter 6, have you ever heard of the story of Jericho? How many have heard of that story? Okay, Uh, Joshua, the battle of Jericho. And they've just come off of this battle of Jericho and it was a resounding victory they, you know, they, Joshua's out there, and he sees the Old Testament appearance of Jesus, and Jesus says, if you want to win, get on my team, Joshua says, I'm on that, I'm on your team, what are, what's the plans, God gives him the plans, and they take Jericho, and it's a miracle, it's awesome victory. From that, we move into chapter 7, the first verse, chapter 7, the first part says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Let me back up before I go any further. When God gave Joshua the instructions about how to take Jericho, one thing he said was, you go straight in there and you take that city, but don't take anything out. You destroy the inhabitants of the city, but all the the garments, the value, the gold, the silver, all, all that, you bring back and that goes into the treasury of the temple. That's what you're supposed to do. So keep that in mind when it says, the children of Israel... Committed a trespass. And also notice that it says Israel sinned. It's half measure excellence. Misses the mark. How many of you know that the definition of sin is to miss the mark? Okay. In the Greek, it's harmatia. Um, That word there simply means if you can just imagine a target. It's got the the bullseye. Then you've got the rings around the bullseye. And if you are going to miss the bullseye, that's what sin is. It means to miss that mark. You understand that? We all look at that as when we say miss the mark as, as sin, right? If this is perfection, and we hit over here with the arrow, that is degree of sin. So it's a question: Did I sin a little bit, or did I sin a lot of bit? But it also means when it with regard to God's good. Think about this: If God has something really awesome for you, but you accept something over here, you've missed the mark of his of his blessings. And so this is what we're talking about here is we have that you have a half-measure excellence. It's, well, I want to do what God wants, but I'm willing to accept half-measures. I'm willing to compromise. It's not just a matter of I'm sinning in the process. It's a matter of I'm missing God's best. God has a better idea, and that's what he wants us to have. And when we say, God, that's too hard. I'm going to do this instead, we miss what he has in mind. It goes further here. As you look at this, it says in, in, in verse, the um, uh, second half of verse 1, For Achan, remember, Israel had sinned, Israel had committed a trespass, the first part of verse 1. Then it says, For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. Let me make it very clear that if you're going to live a half-measured life, it impacts you, right? All right? and everyone around you. We talk a lot about gatekeepers in this group. We talk about how God has set us apart, he's set us free to do God's good in our gates. Gentlemen, if you're going to live a half-measure life within your gates, it's not just you, it's your family, it's your kids, it's your marriage, it's everything in that gate that's going to be lumped in to the pain that you may be causing because you did not stand in your gate for Christ. It's kind of like... Aiken was like the, the guy who's driving down the freeway at 100 miles an hour with a Christian bumper sticker. You seen those guys? You guys, just do me a favor. If you're going to speed, take off the bumper stickers. Because oddly enough, you know, when people see you speeding down the freeway and you got this big Harvest Crusade thing on the back of your car or whatever it might be, it's like, well, there goes those Christians, and it makes me look bad. So that's kind of what Aiken was doing. In the in the old testament version of this, he is like the guy in the old testament, but he's not driving the car, maybe he's driving the chariot. I don't know. But the idea here is he went half measure and impacted all of Israel. But we're going to see exactly how badly. Because in verse the last part of verse one it says, So the anger of the Lord burned against Achan. No, who's the anger of the Lord burned against? The children of Israel. God was angry with all Israel. So let me tell you this. Half-measure excellence is on your notes. Half-measure excellence will always hinder your advance and undermine those around you. The next step from half-measure excellence is what I would call half-measure humility. The story continues. And for context, if you look back at chapter 6, verse 27, we see a little nugget of information in there. After Jericho... After Jericho, it says that Joshua's fame went throughout all the country. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through what happens next. Because you've got, typically, if you're going to have half-measure humility in your life, it usually happens after you've had a great victory. You've been through a healing. You've, you've seen a miracle in your life. Your business takes off or something. But there's been something in your life that happens that you had a great victory. And right after that, we are vulnerable who I would call half-measure humility. We start giving the natural credit instead of the supernatural. For instance, you're at work and you're wanting to advance in your job. How many of you work? How many of you would like to make more money? I'm one. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Okay, and if you get there and you're going to work and you're going to make you can try to make more money, and you're praying to God, and you're asking for the abundance that he has to offer, and you're, and you're working with the promises of God and everything that God has to offer when it comes to those discussions. And finally, your breakthrough comes through. Yeah! And then sometime after that, you hear somebody say, Boy, congratulations, you really worked hard for that. Yeah, I know I did, didn't I? As opposed to, look what God did. And that's what we've talked about, gentlemen, in the past. Those look-what-God-did moments. It's always dangerous after the victory. Who are we going to give the credit? And here we have a situation where Joshua's fame was going throughout the entire country. And we're going to look and see how he handled that fame. Here's how it played out. Verse 2, chapter 7. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to, to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country, and so the men went up and spied out Ai. Remember the story of Jericho, what happened before Jericho? I've already alluded to it a little bit. Before Jericho, where Joshua, you know, Moses is gone now, and Joshua, he's, he's new at this. He doesn't have experience at this, really. He's, he's the new leader of the group, and he's, he's praying. He's seeking after God. He's out there around the walls of Jericho and he's walking, trying and pacing, trying to figure out the battle plan. And he's seeking God for that. He sees the angel, the, the captain of the Lord's host. He goes over, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? Jesus says, neither. I'm on my own side. And Joshua jumps on board. Can I be on your side too? And what is your plan? And he's on this community. He's doing all of that. There is no mention of that with Ai. None whatsoever. If there's no discussion at this point that Joshua, that Joshua has in any way, shape, or form looked to God. He just said, "Oh, okay, we're pretty tough. Look what we just did to Jericho. Do, AI, they're not a big deal. Guys, go look, at, go check them out. Let's see what we have to do there." It Gets worse. Verse three. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, "Do not tell all the people to go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack AI." Don't weary all the people of Israel, for the people of Ai Ar are a few. In their half-measure humility, they didn't take Ai seriously. And here's the danger, gentlemen. Half-measure humility always underestimates the enemy. Makes us soft targets. That's why it says in the New Testament, where it talks about how we are to to be wary and, and, and always be on our guard and always be thinking soberly because why? The enemy, uh, he, he's, he goes around like what? A lion. Seeking what? Those he might, who, who he might devour. And, and so it, we're, we're taught to be on our toes at all times. And this half measure humility makes us, oh, you know what? We can handle them. You know what? We don't have to worry about that and become soft targets, which is exactly Where the enemy wants us. He doesn't want us to think we're that big a deal. He doesn't want us to think that we're, that, that he is, he's got the power that he's got. He doesn't want us to think that that TV show that you're watching is a show that will really impact you in a negative way. He doesn't want us to think that little bit of porn that you might look at is really going to affect you in that little way. He doesn't want you to think about that maybe that lie you told is really going to make that much of a difference. He wants you to think it's not a big deal. It's just a small thing. Half measure humility is full measure pride. And it will always hinder your advance in Jesus. So here's what they did they sent about 3,000 men, verse 4, first part. About 3,000 men went up from there to the people. Another little thing I want us to notice it does not ever talk about here the fact that Joshua even went with them. First of all, they're just little, we're not they're not gonna take him too seriously. Now they're saying we're just gonna send a token force out there to take out this little town. And Joshua, hey, yeah, I'm not even gonna go. He was neglecting his responsibility. But how many times did we do that, guys? When we're absent. And we have all of our reasons, but as a husband, we're not there for our wives when they need us or as a father for our children or at, the, at work where we're not giving everything that we should be giving to our bosses or to our businesses. Gentlemen, that we are to be their half-measure leadership always neglects responsibilities in our gates. And worse than that, it flows down. If that is how you are going to be an example in your gates if that's how we as men are going to be example in the gates of our marriages, in the gates of our relationships, in the gates of our jobs, in every gate that, I don't care, it could be the, the gate of your soccer team, whatever the gate is, if that's our example, that is exactly how those that look to us are going to be. And it's a situation that just re- reoccurs and reoccurs, and it gets worse with time. Half-measure leadership is always going to hinder your advance. In this same verse here, we see that they sent this token force. And all I want to say about that is, if you're going to have a half-measure effort, it's always going to be insufficient. Um, I, I like to work out. I like to go to the gym, and um, it's just always been a good th- cathartic thing for me to do. And, 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 but there's a very frustrating thing, and those of you who, who frequent gyms, you understand what I'm about to say. Is when you're there to work out, and I don't know why it is, I don't know why it is, that, but for some reason that I just have this thing where if I need to go to that machine over there, and there's no one else in the gym, but I need that machine because that's the next thing in my regimen, there's someone there sitting on that machine texting. Okay? You get it? I'm not the only one who's has that experience. That frustrates the heck out of me. It just frustrates me to know when that we have this this. Person who is at the gym now. There's folks who come to the gym that are super overweight, or they're or, or they're elderly, whatever else. And my hat is off to them. I have more respect for them than some of those young guns are in there because you know the kids in there they're already buff. If you go in there and you're willing to go into that atmosphere and it's tough because they're all buff and you're not, my hat is off. My hat is off to you. But if you're going to go in there and get on my machine and text, I don't like that. I don't like that at all because it slows down my workout time it's a half measure effort and then they wonder why they don't lose weight or why they don't get stronger they're not getting the results i went to the gym but you didn't work out that's what we do as christians too many times i went to church on sunday i was at man to man i was at the at the deeper dive study i I go to a connect group but are you working it out Are you taking the things that you're hearing at those groups and part of that fellowship, are you taking that and is that doing something in your life? Or are you sitting on the machine and texting? Because anything less than putting that to work is half major effort. So let's see how it worked out for them. Verse 4, second part, it says, But they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. Hundreds in Ai defeated the millions of Israel. You want to live a half measure life, you're going to lose to inferior foes. And keep in mind, gentlemen, the devil is inferior to us. He may have power. He may. We have authority. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in you and me. We are children of the Most High God. We are highly favored children of the Most High God. When God looks at us, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and if this spirit of Jesus that lives in us, the same spirit that rose Him from the dead, and in the name of Jesus, we have more authority than the enemy does. And yet, if we live a half-measure life, that inferior enemy beats us every time. And what's so frustrating about that is it doesn't have to be that way. The marriages don't have to go south. The jobs, the health, you make the list. It doesn't have to be that way. It was for the children of Israel. The the hundreds of Ai defeated the millions of Israel. When I was in fifth, fourth grade, I think it was, maybe it was fourth grade, um, There's my dad over here, by the way, I want to introduce my father. This is Doug McAllister senior. Um, a pastor, Doug McAllister senior. <laughs> fi- uh, he was pastor for 50 years, He's retired now. Um, you can if you like anything about me, thank you. If you don't, blame him. But when dad, one dad 's first ministries is, was in a place called Hartsburg, Illinois, while he was still in Bible college and in, this, in Hartsburg, Illinois, when it was, we would have, we had this 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 rivalry with a town just down the way called Emden, so it was hartsburg, Emden, and it was the same school district, and so one of the things we would do was, was a, a track meet and I wanted to throw the discus now i wasn 't a huge guy, but I wanted to throw the discus because I thought it looked cool, looked like fun, and everything. And, you know, I, I tried do, doing the hurdles, but I kept landing on the hurdles, and that didn't feel very good, so I stopped doing that. So I was throwing the discus, and the problem with that was is that in the Emden side of this was this guy that was huge. Now, mind you, he was, a, he was a sixth grader, I was a fourth grader. He outweighed me probably by about 50 pounds. He was, he was a big guy, and he threw the discus, and he just threw his body weight. Just He just always won every track meet, but I wanted to throw the discus, and I I went out there, in every recess, and every practice, I was out there with my discus, and I would go out there, and I would practice, and I got the form down, and I could do all of this, get, I was getting going with this, and I got to where I could do the spin and throw the thing, and, and I, I was ready. And no one thought I had a chance at all. Came time for the track meeting, and finally, it was the last, the last um, competition of the day, and this guy got up there. And he just uses his body weight, and he throws it, and it goes way down there. No one believed that he could be beat, including this guy. So he just got up there and did his thing. I got up there, and I did the Olympic thing. You know, I did the spin, I threw the thing, and I beat him. And I beat him. I did it three times. I beat him three times. And the whole point of that point was is that there's only one reason I really beat him, because I really couldn't throw it that far. The reason I beat him because he didn't believe he could be beat. He didn't really give his full. He had a half-measure effort. He and he his pride had decided that he could always win, and because of that, an inferior, inferior competitor beat a superior athlete. It's the same way with us in the enemy, same way with us in any aspect of life. You know, we don't have to lose. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if that's the case, why would we ever accept anything less than victory? Oh, why? Because we would throw in a half measure effort. Here's what happened to them. Verse five, the last part, says, Therefore, the hearts of the people melted, became like water. I bet it did. They went from, you know, we are the champions to oh my gosh. If they can beat us, we're in deep trouble. Because where you end up eventually with your half-measure efforts and your half-measure living is eventually you find out things are bigger than you are. Don't you? Eventually you find out that, oh my gosh, that whole situation is bigger than I am. I thought I could do this. It's not a big deal. Oh no, it's bigger than me. And I can tell you, I've been in those situations where I was in the fetal position in absolute terror having no idea how I was going to handle the situations in my life. And I got there by living a half-measure life. There's always going to be something terrifyingly bigger than you. Our role is to find something bigger than it. Oh, we did. It's Jesus. Half-measure outcomes that keep you and those around you from God's best are always the result of living a half-measure life. Half-measure outcomes that keep you and those around you from God's best are always the result of a half-measure life. So I have a question for you. How many people in this room, how many guys in this room are tired of half-measure outcomes in their lives? Okay, good. So was Israel. Israel. The story continues, and I'm going to kind of summarize at this point, that, you know, all of a sudden they're in terror. Oh, no, their hearts is like water. They're, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And now they turn to God, don't we? <laughs> when, we when life gets, oh, no, what, we really messed up. And, oh, now I'm going to turn to God. Okay, okay, God fix this. In this case, though, not just they just didn't turn to God. They, they blame God. God, what are you doing? You weren't there for us. Why weren't you there? And and they kind of went after God for this. And God listened for a while. And in verse 10, he said, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. I'm pretty sure he said it just like that. Get up. Why do you lie lie thus on your face? God's looking at this going, Oh, brother. Get up. Get off your face. We're going to deal with this. And he set the record straight. Because you know what? They did not know the reason for their defeat. They did not know why the blessing wasn't there. They did not know why the victory that they thought was there should be there. Because God said back there it would be. Why it wasn't there. And so God says oh, we're going to set the record straight. And so in verse 11. He told Joshua Israel has sinned. Remember we talked about that. The blanket. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. Joshua's going. What are you talking about? For. They have even taken some of the accursed things. Remember back in Jericho, they couldn't take those things? For they've even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put them among their own stuff. And Joshua's going, Huh? No, we didn't. We did what you told us to do. I can show you the vault where everything's sitting right now. And God says, Because of that, verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Because of what? Because of the half measures half measures they didn't even know about. Could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs for their enemies because they had become doomed to destruction. Wow. For something they didn't even know about. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. That seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? They didn't know what Achan did. And Achan was just one guy. But when Achan did this, it it, it impacted the entire nation of Israel. And they didn't know why. I just want to point out a truth, gentlemen. You ever feel stuck waiting on God? Am I the only one? Anybody else in this room? that you, you've been praying for something, and it's always, and you're stuck. You want to get this thing, but you're stu- it's just not happening. And even uh, this long, long time, and we go through all these contortions, maybe it's like Gary says, God is just moving the furniture around the universe, and maybe that's the case, maybe it's not. What, what's going on? It's very frustrating. When we get stuck, we feel like, you know, what's going on? We're frustrated while we're waiting on God. And my point here, Jim, maybe God's waiting on us. In some of those situations, maybe it's not us waiting on God so much as he's waiting on us. Please hear me. I'm going to say this with all the love I can say. But the God of heaven will never confirm error. He will never confirm error. He will never bring his power to bear in such a way where he will confirm sin in your life. He's going to confirm error. He's going to say, oh, that's okay. He's not going to do that. This isn't about salvation. Be clear. If you've taken Jesus Christ on as your Lord and Savior, according to His word, you are saved. This is not about salvation. This is about living the life that God has for us. Living the life that God wants us to have. It's about accessing that. So here's a test. Why don't you ask yourself this question. If God blessed me, He answered my prayer or whatever. If God blessed me, would he be confirming as acceptable any areas in my life that I know don't really bring him glory? If God blessed me, would he be confirming as acceptable to him any area in my life that I know doesn't bring him glory? In your marriage? Like I said earlier, oh, just a little bit of porn? or maybe the movies I'm watching that I know is probably not feeding my mind with godly things, or the guys I'm hanging around with and things we do when I hang around with them, are there areas in our lives that if God blessed me, you would assume that he's saying that that's okay? In Psalm chapter 139, David prayed this prayer. said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David wanted to figure out what those things were in his life that didn't bring God honor. And I believe it's because he knew that those things that he was holding on to in his life that were not honoring God were holding him off from the blessings. My encouragement, gentlemen, and I mean this with all the love of my heart, is pray that prayer. Pray as David did. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know know what I'm thinking. Point out anything that I may not have thought about. Maybe I haven't even pinged on it yet. I haven't thought about it yet. Show me what it is that's keeping me from the best you have to give. Because sometimes while we're waiting on God... God's actually waiting on us. It moves on. If it's not supposed to be half measure, it's supposed to be full measure life. And so God said, okay, here's how you fix this. So let me give you this, the, the, the scenario. The, let me give you the three steps that God wants us to take to fix this in our lives. When we discover what the problem is, the first of all is Step one. In, in, um, in Joshua 7, verse 13, he tells him to sanctify the people. He says, set them apart. It actually has them set up in two, two different sides, two different rows in the valley there. But he says, get them ready. Get them ready for what's supposed to be doing. Make sure they understand. Get their minds ready. Get them focused on me. Sanctify them. Set them apart, first thing. And that's where we have to start. You guys, what we have to do is, first of all, decide, are we really going to commit to God? Are we really going to take the things we've been taught and actually use them in our lives? Or is this just about the feeling good? Or is this just about the friends we have here? Or are we really going to up the ante here and we're going to take it and, and commit our lives to God? We're going to try to do what we are learning in man-to-man or any other thing we go to. That's step one. Make the decision to commit yourself to God. Step two, and this is hard, Before God identified the cause, God gave Joshua a process that it was basically a process of elimination that eventually landed on Achan. And after went through all of Israel, he landed on and they identified who it was that had taken of the accursed things. It was Achan, and Achan confessed to it. Yeah, we did. Didn't think it was any big deal. You know, I went and fought. I figured I earned it. It was just a couple of pieces of gold. Identify the cause. The way I would put it for you and me is search out in your life any half measures. Any errors in your life you're saying close enough. <laughs> it's just close enough. I, I, I'm getting, uh, it's close enough. I know God said this, but. Pray through those. What are the half measures in your life that should be full measure living? And then step three, God told them to make hard choices this case, is pretty dramatic. Because what God told them to do with Achan was take Achan, take his wife, all of his kids, everyone in his family, everything in his downline, to his grandkids, the entire family, all of his animals, all of his possessions, and even take the things he stole from Jericho and put them all, all together and stone them to death. And then they burned them. Now imagine how hard that might have been there's nothing in this, in this whole thing that says that Achan wasn't a nice guy you know for all we know he was alive at the party and, and he had a lot of friends and all of this was going on could you imagine being one of his close friends with a rock in your hand and you have a choice obey God or not they had to make the hard choice and so do we some of us in this room tonight have some hard choices to make. I know in my heart of hearts, right now, there are men in this room who are thinking of some half measure in their life. That they know before God, because the Spirit is, is pointing that out to you, that they need to deal with it. I know, it's, I know what's happening tonight. And I can hear the thoughts. It's hard. If I do this, this is going to happen. There's all of these thoughts of fear or all all the the price you're going to have to pay or all of it, it's hard. All the reasons why you haven't already dealt with it are going through your mind right now. That third step is make the hard choice. Full measure excellence chooses God. Eliminates half measures, making the hard choices in order to advance to all that God has for you. God gave them a second chance. Because after we get through this, we move on to chapter 8. And then it says in verse, the first verse says, Now the Lord says to Joshua, Interesting, this time God's involved. Okay, the first time around, they didn't seek God. They didn't do any of that. This time, God's involved. And, and that's what full measure effort. You look at, it, if you're going to do anything, full measure effort sees God as the source, right? We look at this and going. I don't care if this looks easy or this is hard. God is my source. God is, my, is the source of my success, the source of my power. That is full measure effort. And that is a mind of Christ that understands that we don't just live in this world. We can look at the circumstances that surround us in this natural world and think we're on top of things, just like they thought about AI. Millions of Israel, hundreds of AI, they're no big deal based on the natural. They didn't look at the spiritual and understand that they were vulnerable. Gentlemen, if you have the mind of Christ, you understand that you don't think like the natural person. You think like a spiritual person. You understand there may well be things and probably are things you do not know that are gunning for you. And so your first response ought to be, "Okay, God. You've told me that your favor surrounds me. Okay, God. You've told me that you go before me like a shield, and you and you go behind, and you hedge me round about. Okay, God. You said that more, there are that um, stronger you than anything in the world. Okay, God. That you said I'm more than a conqueror. You begin to see God as your source, not because of what you can see, but because of what you can't." He goes on to say, but do not be afraid or dismayed. Okay. They just had water hearts. Remember? They, they were so afraid that their hearts became as water. And now God's saying, hey, here I am. I'm here now. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. They made the hard choices. They identified what the issue was. They sought after God. They did those three things. Okay, now that they've done this, God said, I'm here. No fear. No fear. It says in Proverbs three verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths or He'll make your path straight. God is saying to us as He said to them, gentlemen, if you will, if you are willing to give yourself to Me and trust Me and take Me at My word which will not return void, if you are willing to do that, don't be afraid. I will be with you. You trust Me, I'll make your path straight. Why why should we not be afraid verse made? he told them um, in the last part of verse 2 the first part of verse I mean a uh, first one and second first, first part of verse 2 that was hard to say <clears throat> i have given into your hand the king of ai his people his city and his land and you shall do to ai and its king as you did to jericho and its king see when god was in the pic when god was in the picture they took out jericho when he wasn't in the picture they couldn't even touch ai With God back in the picture, he says, now you're going to do it again. So gentlemen, if you've had a victory in your life, if you've seen God work in your life, he'll do it again. He's going to do it again. He is going to come to and he's saying to you, don't be afraid. Take me at my word. I'm going to be there for you. You live a full measure life that I I can move in. You're going to see those victories again. It's a promise of God. Romans eight thirty seven. in all these things, and Paul's talking about all the different hardships that, that sometimes we have to go through. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. God participated. He had a promise and he had a plan. His plan was, he said, now, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take, in verse, uh, verse 1 and 2, you're going to take all the people of war with you. Not just a token force. I want you to take all the people of war and arise and go to Ai. And then he said, but what I want you to do is I want you to array them in an ambush. And so basically what he did was, he said, you take about 30,000 of your, of your army and you put them behind the city. And then kind of surround the city. And what you're going to see is this battle plan where he's going to take this another small contingent and go up to attack Ai. And when AI sees this, they're going to say, oh, we can, we can beat them. We, we, we did it last time. We'll do it again. And they'll come out after. And when they do, you come in and around and you take the city. It's a brilliant plan. It worked off of AI's pride at that point. But here's the point. Full measure effort is an overwhelming force. Once again, if God is for me, who can be against me? Full measure effort towards that disease. Full measure effort towards that, uh, that financial situation. Full measure effort towards that relationship. Full measure effort towards that marriage. Full measure effort towards that person you're trying to win for Jesus. Full measure effort is an overwhelming force because it's not you by yourself. It's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he is the one who is, a, who is present. So he says, set the ambush. And does that. But here's a change. Last time in Jericho, last time in Jericho, they couldn't take of the spoils. That had to go to the treasury. This time, cool. This time, he says, and this time you get to take what you get, what you find. This time, all the spoil. Get rid of all the people, but you keep all the the gold, all the jewelry. You get to keep that. Now think about Achan. Think about Achan and his compromise in Jericho. If he had just obeyed God, then in full measure obedience, he could have taken of the spoil in Ai just a little bit later, and he'd still be alive. But still, instead of that, it was half measure. I'm going to take it now and look what it costs. Gentlemen, how many times have we done that to ourselves? We had the opportunity. If we had just obeyed, if you ever look at, I wish I could go back and do it God's way. I would. I would. I'm all there. I wish I could go back and just do it God's way because had I done it God's way I could have skipped all this. Well, let's just do it God's way. Cuz God said this time you can have all the spoil. And so they went through the battle and they and they and they actually they won the battle. Which is what happened. Full measure effort advances you into all God has for you. It means that you go to the gym and you actually lift the weights. You actually lift the weights. But here's something I really wanted us to see very clearly. And I got really excited when I was reading this. Let's move into verse 18. We see that Joshua learned a few things as well. First of all, Joshua, in verse 18, is, he's present. It says, did the Lord say to Joshua? Joshua's involved this time. As a leader, he's not absent. He's actually in the thick of things. And that's what full-measure leadership does. It advances you and all those around you. But let's move into that, because if you are going to occupy your gate, not just have a gate, but you're going to occupy your gate for God's good, that's called leadership. And that's our job. In this case, Joshua had an interesting role in the battle. Now, for those of you who've been around man-to-man, you're going to ping on to where I'm going with this. In verse 18, the second half, God tells Joshua, Stretch out the spear that's in your hand toward Ai. For I will give it into your hand. And then in verse 25. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand. All the people of Ai. Why? For Joshua did not draw back his hand which he had stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Does that sound familiar? Remember Moses? Israel is battling the Amalekites. They're down in the valley. Moses is on the hill. When his hands are raised, Israel's is winning. When the hands come down, they begin to lose. So Aaron and Hur had to come up there and hold his hands up. And he held his hands up until the battle was over and they won. Now we have Joshua holding his hand up. What is up with this hand up thing? I mean, in the natural, we're waving. Or I give up. Or whatever. But in both of these stories of Moses against uh, the Amalekites and now Joshua against the, the citizens of Ai, the hand is up. And it's done so by, God says, do that. And hold that hand up. And as long as that hand was up, they were beating up on the citizens of Ai. And gentlemen, I, I will say again, like I said back in our third Man to Man this season, when we talked about worship, there is something that God has designed with the raising of the hands in worship and in prayer in that whole discussion that somehow intersects us in this reality between the supernatural and the natural. There is something about that that unleashes the power of God. I would encourage you that whether it's worship time or your prayer time don't be thinking about okay just because they said raise our hands we're just going to raise our hands because it's the religious church thing to do do it as an act of war we raise our hands as an act of war against an enemy that that is inferior to you and me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world we are intersecting with the supernatural as we intersect with that supernatural we are able to do things against things we cannot even see There was something that Joshua was able to do by raising his hand with that spear to to beat whatever it was on the side of AI, not AI, on the side of AI, that was giving them the power that gave them the victory the first time. And as he held up that spear, it was holding back the power of Satan. Gentlemen, if you want to hold back the power of Satan, you cannot do that in the natural. You cannot do that in the natural. You can only do it in the power of Jesus Christ. And that is what I'm calling you to. It's a full measure life. It's a life that says, I am here, and Satan, you better go. It's a life that says, I am going to win, and you're going to lose, because greater is he that's in me. It's a life that will not live a half measure life. We're going to accept only the full measure of what God has to offer. Joshua held that up there, and it says, he did not draw back his hand, which was, with which he stretched out the spear, until he... Not the armies of Israel until he had destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Gentlemen, God's power is present. Holy cow. What can God do? In fact, didn't he say that? Is anything too hard for God? So I want you to think right now. Whether it's those half measures or whatever challenge you have. Are you holding that up in the power of God? Is it too hard for God? God would say no. God would say no. God would say, live that full measure. Live that full measure, and you will see victory. Full measure warfare means engaging with the power of the Spirit to win. Engaging with the power of the Spirit, gentlemen, is the essential to your victory. Here's your option. Memorize this book. Get really smart about Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. Memorize this book. And you have got all kinds of of knowledge about the history of the Bible and and everything he said, do that. And I will tell you, I will tell you based on 50 years of walking with Jesus, if that's all you will do, you will dry up and fly away. Because until you inject the power of God into what he has in mind for this book, until you live with the power of God, you have lost the life. You will dry up I believe that the church today is what we were looking back at, the Valley of the Dry Bones. The Dry Bones were the church that had become so smart about Jesus that we forgot about the power of God. In fact, we talked that back. We don't want to talk about the power of God because you know, we don't be weird. Gentlemen, let's be weird. Let's be a peculiar people. Let's be a people after God's own heart that says, if it says it in here, it's true. Amen? So we go a little further here. The outcome destroyed all of AI. See, but Joshua learned the lesson. No half measures. He was no longer an absent leader. uh, Now he sought after God. He made the hard decisions and it got to the point where now God can now bless. Now God can now bless. And he did not draw back his hand until the job was done now I imagine guys those spears weren't small and I imagine this battle went on for a while and as you can think about it just to be real he's got this spear it's up in the air it's going to get heavy right? you know it's going to be hard to keep the hand up there it's going to be difficult to keep the hand up there you, know, you kind of keep that up there but it says he did not draw back his hand until the job was done And because he did not draw back his hand, because he did not quit on what God told him to do, there was ultimate victory. I think of Joseph. In the Old Testament, Joseph. For him, there were no half measures. There were no half measures in Joseph. He went through the pit, through slavery, through false accusations, and all the things he went through, and he never drew back his hand and became the prime minister of Egypt. I think of David. No half measures in his life. He went through the valley. He took on Goliath. He had to deal with King Saul. But he never drew back his hand. He stayed faithful to God. He lived a full measure life and became the king of Israel. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. There were no half measures in Paul's life. He went through blindness to start with, then the persecution, then prison, then beatings, and shipwreck, and on and on and on it went. But he never pulled back his hand. He always stayed in communication with the Spirit. He always stayed in communication with God. No half measures with Paul. And he wrote most of the the New Testament and took the Bible, I mean the Gospel, around the world. And ultimately, I think of Jesus. Talk about no half measures. I mean, he left heaven and came to this earth for you and me. He was despised and rejected. But he never pulled back his hand. And today he's seated at the right hand of God. And because of that, you and I will go there as well. Gentlemen. The result of no half measures, the result of never pulling back our hands, of never ever letting go of what God has for you and me is, are, are beyond our imaginations. And I believe that if we as a body, if this church, if this group in here can grasp hold of this about how we are able to move forward in the power of God, if we're able to do this, the world has yet to see how awesome this could be. The world has yet to see this. And how can we do this? Because I am a child of the Most High God. Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because the favor of God surrounds me because I can approach, approach the throne of God, grace with confidence because I am more than a conqueror because God's word says these things and they will never return void. Full of measure outcomes that advance you and those around you to God's best are all the result of living a full measure life. So here's what I'm calling you to tonight. I'm saying to you tonight and to myself it's time to advance no half measures if I have a thesis tonight is to advance into all that Jesus has for us there can be no half measures where do we start we want to advance his mission don't we Matthew um, 28 talks about the great commission and Jesus said go into all the world we want to advance his mission Paul said that Jesus came to the world to do one thing and that was to save sinners But I will tell you, gentlemen, I'm not calling any individual in this room to save the world. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking necessarily for the next Billy Graham in this room, although maybe he is. I don't know. But what I am saying here is you have a gate. Everyone in this room has more than one gate. You have a family. You have friends. You have jobs. You have hobbies. You have these things. You you go to school, whatever it might be, that everyone in this room has a gate, and what I'm calling you to is advance in that gate, no half measures. Ask God, what are those things, Lord, that are keeping me from your best in my life? We have an opportunity to do this coming next month. Our next meeting we get together here, guys, is our finale for this season. And I'm going to challenge you advance. It's May the 8th, please write this down, I want you all there. Tuesday, May the 8th, it's not the first Sunday, Tuesday, it's the second Tuesday. May the 8th. Thanks to several of you in this room, we're going to have a full catered meal that night. It's going to be awesome. Um, Make sure you come for that. Aaron is going to put together an awesome worship set as well. If you were here the third night we had this, um, you, you know what I'm talking about going to be nice for that. We're going to talk about it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. That Here's my outline for the next time. God is good. God is on His throne. God loves me. That outline is for a purpose. I have been planning that outline for a long time because what I'm asking you to do is live a full measure life between now and May the 8th. And that means who do you know in your gates that should be here? Without apology, I want, I want to see a large number of salvations that night. That God is on his throne, God is good and God loves me applies whether you're a Christian or, or, seeking, or seeking answers. So there's something for everybody in this message, I promise you that. But on May the 8th, Let's get there in a full measure. We're going to talk about that around the table here in a second here, but I know I'm going to be here. Bring a guest. Bring, come and just commit to, I'm going to bring at least one. So at least one person. And we're going to be working with my leadership team. We're going, to, we're going to blanket the web. We're going to do all the Facebook stuff. and We're going to do all that to help as well because we want this to become a full-on evangelistic event. And tell everybody that God is on the throne. God is good. And he loves us. There may be some of you here tonight. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody here tonight who maybe has not ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We can fix that tonight. i would love to have that discussion with you. I have people here. I'll talk to you, whatever it takes, to have that discussion about what that looks like. I also know though that there are guys here tonight who can think of the half measures that they need to dealt with. And I will tell you, gentlemen, remember we talked about the weapon of where two agree on something? What God it does with that? I will encourage you, if you've got a half measure in your life that you know that God can't move you any further until you deal with this, get with a brother and let's have a discussion about that and pray. Because if you will do that, there are men in this room that I can testify what God will do if you will do that. But I have a question right now. I just want to talk talk to all of you. As we consider next month, let's just talk about, and I, I wish, we're gonna do this kind of collaboratively here. What's in it for those that we would want to introduce to Jesus? Why, what what why would we want to introduce them to Jesus? So let's talk about that. I, I know it sounds like a real simple question, but I want to talk about simple answers. What are, the, what are some good reasons to introduce people to Jesus? Who? Salvation? Salvation? Hope. Hmm? Hope? Well? Solutions. Solutions? And we go on and on, right? And I have to ask you a question. So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? It's my prayer that God has already put a name of at least one person in your brains. And I guarantee you, if you are faithful in full measure, God's also talking to that person and setting them up for that question from you. And you may not understand it. You may be looking at them going, no way. God's saying, yeah, you don't know what's going on in in the supernatural. So here's a couple of questions that are on the back of, the, of, your, of your notes there. The first question is, what are the reasons we don't try to introduce those we know to Jesus more? And then the second question is, how will doing our best to bring someone to the next man-to-man glorify God? So let's just take the first question, and if you get done with that, go to the second question, and then we'll spend a few minutes here having a chat about that. We'll be out by 8.30, so go ahead and get into it.